York's talk station with the king of New York. Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. Oh, this is like smelling sauce to me. Because as many of you know, Yost Julie Curtis Lee, I made my bones in Mickey D's McDonald's in the late 70s as a night manager in the Bronx when it was burning down and thousands were fleeing at East Fordham Road and Webster Avenue. And so as we're in our lunchtime edition here, right after the Bill O'Reilly update, as I rip and read and give you commentary until the one o'clock hour, what better expert is there? about what goes on in McDonald's and yours truly. And based on the headlines of today's New York Post, cold fries, cold heart. And a person may have actually been killed as a result of a little sleeve of cold fries in someone's order. Now, to give you the background of my credibility as a person who was an outlier at McDonald's all the years I was there organizing the Guardian Angels to patrol the streets, the parks, and especially the subways. Right out of that Mickey D's, I was labeled a vigilante. They would not let me go to Ray Kroc University in Oak Brook, Illinois. That's right. They said, you're special ed. We basically hired you only as a glorified bouncer and taught you how to be a manager because before I arrived at East Fordham Road, at Webster Avenue, a security officer had been shot and killed in an armed robbery. When the manager went to the back and started to turn the tumblers on the safe and completely freaked out and broke down and started crying, and they pistol-whipped him and then shot the guard. So they said, hey, you look like a tough guy, right? You're from Brooklyn? I said, yeah, of course. They said, how would you like to be the night manager here at East Fordham and Webster? I said, no problems. They said, here are the keys. Good luck. By the way, do you have a life insurance policy? Said, don't need it. I'm young, footloose, and fancy free. I can handle myself. Oh, my God. What an education. In fact, if you could get your hands on the documentary about uh, yours truly, Curtis Lee, and my years at Mickey D's, it's called Vigilante because that's exactly how I had to react That's exactly how I had to behave because of the raucous conditions that were occurring in the streets, in the lobby of that Mickey D's. And yes, sometimes when the gangbangers from the Savage Skulls, the Savage Nomads, the Black Spades would come over the counter and then it was a fight for one's life. Now, it was much more difficult back then because we were on the verge of fiscal restraint. The brand new mayor, Ed Koch, he had a layoff. Uh, so many cops, so many firefighters, social workers, teachers. We on the we were on the brink of fiscally dissolving, but it didn't matter. We were in a recession, but oh boy, every day the people were lining up for their Big Macs, fries, and strawberry shakes. And my biggest problem back then was guys would come up and say, "I want Mac sauce with my fries," and I'd tell them, "Hey, look, Ray Kroc, he will not permit us." To give you Mac fries, with, excuse me, Mac sauce with your fries. It only goes with the Big Mac. Guy would pull out a Philly roll. He'd have a $100 bill on the top, 
singles underneath. You go, I'll give you $100. Just squirt me a little mac sauce in a cup. I want to eat my fries with mac sauce. And I said, uh-uh, no mac sauce for you. What? That? Give me tartar sauce. I said, no, no, no. Tartar sauce goes with the fish filet, and that's it. So, oh, you're not going to give it to me because I'm black? I said, no, because these are the rules and regulations. And ultimately, I'd have to go over the counter, and I'd start fighting in the lobby with these guys. And naturally, you know what attracted a crowd? A black and a white, a black and a white, fight, fight, fight. Oh, boy, what did it attract a crowd? Now, I'll admit, that was a bit extreme, but not as extreme as the story that is the leading story in Fear City during this crime wave of our beloved city, which oftentimes reminds me of the uh, Kurt Russell movie Escape from New York. It's getting worse and worse and worse. Dateline, bed do or die. It's a Mickey D's and a 40-year-old mother sends uh, her app, puts her order into Mickey D's, and she goes to pick it up. It's a Big Mac. It's a Diet Coke, and it's small fries. She gets the Big Mac. She gets the Diet Coke. But the small fries are cold. So she goes to the person who is the cashier. She goes, hey, you know, my fries are cold. Give me, give me some fresh fries, some hot fries. Now, this is where the mistake was made on the part of the Mickey D's there. First of all, the manager was nowhere to, near to be found. He was probably in the back going pub, pub, pass, smoking a blunt. So naturally, the employee says, I can't, I can't give you another fry. It would have been so easy. Because fries are waste. It's easy to waste fries on the inventory. Not so much the meat patties or the fish fillets. That's more costly to the franchise owner. But for whatever reason, they decided not to give her the fries. Meantime, she face face times her 20-year-old thuggish son. This guy's got a record that's 500 Scott tissue papers long. We're talking violent crimes. He says, Mom, I'm coming right over there. He comes in, but before he comes in, he's got his girly girly, and she's packing his heat just in case for the one time of late he gets stopped in prison. But that's not going to happen. So he comes in, and now his girlfriend is right next to him. And he goes, you playing with my mom? Anybody play with my mom? You're going to get a nine to your head. And so now everybody is stuck in cover, not because they're dropping the atomic bomb, but they know that this guy may pull the Thule out and start shooting up the McDonald's. You know, it happened in San Ysidro many, many years ago on the border with Tijuana on the American side. Some crazed maniac went in and shot up a McDonald's. It's happened before. So the individual in question decides, I got to get out of here. I got to get out of here. He really wants to gun for me because his mother has just ID'd me. So the guy changes his garb. He takes off his Mickey D's outfit, puts on his civilian clothes, and tries to go out the back door because he knows this guy wants to shoot him. This guy spots him, and the girlfriend says, there he goes, there he goes. So the guy runs outside with his gun. Bang, 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 bang. Shoots him, and he bleeds out, and luckily... Luckily, the ambulance comes. He's in Brookdale Hospital, and he may not survive. He's in the ICU. And the pictures don't make you cry. On the streets of Brooklyn, bleeding out. The kid did not have any record whatsoever. Never had a violation with Johnny Law. 
was just trying to earn his way at McDonald's so he could go back to school in the fall, right? A lot of, a lot of kids do that as a transition. In fact, it may be their first employment opportunity, fast food, and more so than Burger King or Wendy's, Mickey D's employs the most. It's the number one fast food emporium in the United States and the world. And you know what the mother said afterwards? She saw her son shoot that McDonald's employee down. And then she said, look, look, I talked to my son when the cops got there. My son is just saying that he he had to do what he had to do over cold fries. Over cold fries, ladies and gentlemen. This guy was not charged immediately. Because Eric Gonzalez in Brooklyn, Kings County, he's the DA, the Turner Moose DA there. He's not as well known as Alvin Bragg, who is the criminal's friend. But Eric Gonzalez, when you're caught with a gun, first-time caller in Kings County, Brooklyn, they put you through a diversion program. Problem here was this guy used his nine to shoot the McDonald's employee. So earlier this morning, the person responsible, Michael Morgan, age 20, was charged with attempted murder and criminal possession of an illegal handgun. Notice, not a legal handgun. Oh, we can't have our citizens with legal handguns who have carry permits, concealed permits, because they'll end up committing crimes. No, the crimes are being committed by those with illegal handguns. And his girlfriend, Camelia Dunlop, was also arrested because she was carrying the gun. She was concealing his Thule, his 9mm, in her purse. The mother the mother was saying, oh, how could you do this to my little boy? This is wrong. He didn't do it. It was somebody else. Well, the cops said, to her, well, you were there. You were watching it. Who did it? I don't know. Uh, you know, snitches get stitches and end up in ditches. Now, imagine the dysfunction in that household that led to her son, a 20-year-old, Killing a McDonald's employee. By the way, black-on-black crime, right? Black-on-black crime. This is typical of what happens not just in our city, not just in our state, not just in New Jersey, not just in the tri-state area, but throughout America. Black-on-black crime. Usually young black men killing and shooting other young black men. And it's so typical. And then she kept whispering over and over. My son just kept saying that he... Got to do what he got to do. And it was the victim who deserved it because he came after my son. Wow. How come the mother wasn't charged? She should be charged. She's culpable. She FaceTimed her son. She knew her son had a record. She knew her son was going to bring his gun because his girlfriend was carrying his 9mm in her purse. She was well aware of that. But she wanted high noon over cold fries. How bad does it get? It's going to get worse. Going to get worse. In fact, when I ran that Mickey D's at night, I took the law into my own hands. That's why they call me a vigilante. We had bats. We had sticks. We had pipes. We didn't call 911 because the cops didn't come. There weren't enough cops. We were on our own. This particular McDonald's, I don't know where the manager is. He probably ran away. It's probably a franchise owner who has a lot of explaining to do. But I will tell you this. 
It's back-to-back. It's like the Three Musketeers. I used to hire a crew. I'd hire them right off of Rikers Island. I'd say, look, I don't care if you know how to make quarter pounders, fish fillets, french fries. When I go over the counter and I got to settle a dispute, I got to know you have my back. And in that McDonald's, they didn't have the back of their fellow employee because he tried to escape the guy who had come in to shoot him and kill him. And the tale of the tape is so much different as we take you out to California. On the way to Las Vegas, if you go east from Los Angeles, there's a little town called Norco. There's a guy who owns a little convenience store. His name is Craig Cope. He's 80 years old. He's been robbed over and over over the years. Every nickel, diamond, penny that he has is invested in that little convenience store. People will stop there. It's not necessarily a high-crime area, but in the wee hours of the morning when he takes the shift, he doesn't leave it to a young man or a young woman. He takes the overnight shift because he knows that's the most dangerous shift. He's behind the counter, and he's looking at the camera that is showing him video in the parking lot. And an SUV pulls up, three guys in mass, AK-47s clips, fully loaded, they're coming in. Now, does this 80-year-old go down on the ground like we saw that reverend in Brooklyn say, take whatever you want, take whatever you want? No, he reaches under the counter for his Winchester shotgun. And as all three come in with the AK-47s aimed at him, listen to what happened in that store, that little convenience store in Norco, California. That our streets belong to our children. Nope, that ain't it. That ain't it. That's Eric Adams. Come on. This is prime time. Nope. That ain't it. That ain't it. Call Kevin in here, man. Let's get it straight, man. I mean, I'm pro style here. I bust my butt to get this right. We can't get this right, man. I don't know. I don't know why. And what is your message to fellow business people here in the area and in Southern California? Because there has been an uptick in these types of liquor store, convenience store crimes. I think uh, more people should vote and vote the right way. And uh, I think the politicians, this isn't going to get me on the right side of a lot of people. Eighty-year-old man, pull that shotgun fully loaded, fired on the three with the AK-47 and the clips before they could shoot him. It was high noon. He shot the guy's arm off. They went running back. These were teenage thugs, all of them with records, having done time in youth facilities in Ontario and California for committing armed robberies. He shot the guy's arm off. They went to a nearby hospital. All three of them got arrested. And do you know what happened to Cope? He was so traumatized, he had a heart attack. They took him to a hospital. He's now back at his house. And you know what this great American does which is what all Americans have done over the years. When there's no law enforcement, there's no 911, there's no justice. He said, as soon as I'm well, I'm going back to the late night shift. 
because I know they're going to come back and they're going to do it again. Talk Radio 77 WABC. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. The loveliness of Paris seems somehow sadly gay. The glory that was Rome is of another day. I've been terribly alone and forgotten in Manhattan. I'm going home. To my city by the bay. Uh, Tony Bennett. I left my heart in San Francisco. Like Prozac to me. And the reason why we're playing Tony Bennett with the pipes, the Astoria kid. It's because he's 96 years old. Incredible performance. Even to this day when he's been seen wheeled around in a wheelchair. I remember when they restored the St. George Theater, North Shore, Staten Island right behind, Staten Island Borough Hall, and the debut performance uh, after many, many dollars and many, many artisans who were brought over to reestablish it to its specifications. If you've never been there, you really have to go to the St. George Theater. And he took the house down. Well, the other reason we play this is because the U.S. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, her home in San Francisco, and she just finished her... Overnight soiree in Taiwan, in Taipei, a.k.a. what we called when we were younger, Formosa. And the red Chinese, the nemesis of those in free Taiwan, have now surrounded that island with their naval flotilla. And they're threatening death and destruction to those in Taiwan. Only 25 million who are standing up to the red Chinese menace. And U.S. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, she's getting praise from many sectors for following through and actually visiting when it was thought that maybe she might pull out because of these threats. I just want to point out that when she was under threat, I noticed that her fellow Bay Area residents, some who live in her very congressional district, Stefan Curry, uh, he didn't. He didn't tweet. He didn't warn the red Chinese to not harm a hair on Nancy Pelosi's head. No, no, Steve Kerr. Oh, that, the coach there who always, always is ready to complain. Always is ready to tweet out. Always is judgmental of everybody else. He remains silent. And of course, Mister NBA who earns fifty-five million a year just in salary alone from the L.A. Lakers. And millions more in endorsements, many from his red Chinese masters, LeBron James. He said nothing. He tweeted nothing. So it just shows you the hypocrisy of the NBA that's in bed with the red Chinese. And with a threat to Nancy Pelosi, who, let's face it, 
your the Warriors, your Steve Kerr, your Curry, your constituents of Pelosi, and they took the code of Omerta because it was more important to continue to get the red Chinese money. Meantime, back in the Bay Area, U.S. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's husband. Remember, he was half in the bag a while back coming from the Napa Valley, and it's uh, assumed that he didn't only have that 99-cents chemical Ernest and Julio G. wine in his system, but maybe a little cocaine. That's right. Well, he appeared in court just about an hour ago outside of Napa Valley, which is south of San Francisco, and pled not guilty, and he was lawyered up. I mean, he was lawyered up. Now, a lot of people don't know this, but a weekend ago, when Congressman Zeldin was attacked on that stage on the platform outside of the Veterans of War in Monroe County, outside of Rochester, by that crazed uh, lunatic who himself was an Iraqi war veteran but obviously had a lot of emotional issues, that crime wave Kathy Holcomb not only didn't extend to her adversary in this current gubernatorial race in which she's ahead in the polls, but Zeldin is within striking distance, and I'm urging all of you to rally around Congressman Zeldin as I am, even though I and Rudy Giuliani, my Kumbadichich, we supported Andrew. It was a good battle in the GOP primary, but Congressman Zeldin won convincingly. He is our only hope. We've got to rally around Congressman Zeldin and get everyone out to vote. Republicans, Independents, of which there are more in the state of New York now than registered Republicans, and obviously the many moderate Democrats, because if not, the exodus is going to continue. And you may have remembered on that weekend, crime wave Kathy Holcomb was nowhere to be found. A governor does not have to report what their schedule is, private or public. Well, just so happens she was in California. She was mining Dollars, campaign dollars from the healthcare industry. She was in uh, Irvine, California. She was in Los Angeles. And yep, she ended up in Napa. And when she had to go back to San Francisco uh, X Airport to take the flight back to uh, JFK, New York City, uh, I was hoping that she was not being escorted by Paul Pelosi because he wasn't supposed to be driving. But as we talk about Kathy Crime Wave Holcomb, Not only has she failed to keep residents of New York State safe, not only has she failed to use the power of the governor's seat to actually revoke a district attorney from any of the 62 counties. It's not just Alvin Bragg in the largest district attorney and most powerful district attorney's office in America, the Manhattan district attorney. She could easily revoke him being the district attorney. She chooses not as this crime wave continues. But now in today's newspapers, both in the Times, the Daily News, the Post, Newsday, all of which I get on a regular basis every day. I'm old school. I got to have the hard copy in my hands. We have a $220 billion budget in New York, and we are now facing deficits for the next five years. We are on the cusp of going bankrupt in the state because there's no more Papa Chulo, Joe Biden bailout money or stimulus money. We're on our own. Tax receipts are down noticeably. Businesses continue to flee what used to be the Empire State. And now we've had fiscal kryptonite that we've been exposed to as many businesses leave. 
because of the taxes, because of the crime, because of the lack of a quality of life, the lack of affordable housing for their employees. And now not enough taxes to sustain this massive social budget that does not include, does not include in its various uh, addendum uh, financial items more money for the police, more money for the police. And that brings us to the number one supporter of Crime Wave, Kathy Holcomb. That is Eric Adams, a swagger man who has absolutely no plan to deal with the ever-growing crime problem here in New York City. Out of all the places he could be yesterday with National Night Out, and you need to know that National Night Out is no longer National Night Out. I mean, it was established 1979 outside of the suburbs in Philadelphia. The whole idea was that people would uh, sit on their porches with the lights on, uh, and by being out into the streets, it would prevent crime, break-ins, robberies, assaults, thefts, car thefts, and the people would get to meet the cops who were assigned to go on patrol in their sectors. And it was a brilliant idea, except I noticed yesterday, particularly in our area, that most uh, of the national night out activities ended at 7 o'clock at night before it even got dark. Got dark at 8 o'clock. How can you have a national night out when you're telling the people, we don't want to keep you out when it's dark because it's too unsafe? Turn the lights off on your porch because you could be a victim of a drive-by shooting. And where did Eric Adams, a swagger man with no plan, decide to go? He went to Harlem. Okay, many, many precincts all over the city would have welcomed the mayor at a time in which we're trying to bring the community together with the police who are under siege. Remember, they had a billion dollars taken out of their budget. Not a penny was ever put back. Likewise, with the correctional officers, I mean, there are two situations that have occurred on Rikers Island, the Rock. We had, uh, we had Bloods attack correctional officer and the Bellevue Hospital, beat him to a pulp, and we were paying for his dialysis. We, we were paying for him to be transported, this Blood gang member, enemy of society, transported from Rikers Island three times a week to get his dialysis treatment in Bellevue Hospital. I know when I was shot five times in the summer of June 19th in 1992, My recovery was in Bellevue. Every second patient there was somebody who was a Rikers Island inmate. They were giving them hip replacements. They were giving them knee replacements at taxpayers' expense. How did you know that they were inmates? Well, they were handcuffed to the bed, and there was a correctional officer who was put outside. And in this particular case, after getting his dialysis, he attacked a correctional officer assigned to him, And almost beat him to death. And all he'll do is he'll be transported back to Rikers Island. And then they'll get him dialysis probably at Elmhurst Hospital. There'll be no price to pay. But there was some poetic justice. Remember the Manhattan man who smeared feces on the face of that female subway passenger up near Gun Hill Road on the number three train? Remember how he just walked up to her and smeared the feces feces on her face? Well, he's housed in C-74 in Rikers and he was scalded with boiling water in an attack by a fellow inmate named Burns. Such poetic justice. Again, we haven't hired one additional correctional officer as the inmates and the gang members run the asylum. But there was Eric Adams in Harlem 
standing there at this national night out event with his very dear friend, Alvin Bragg. They were embracing. They were shaking one another's hands. Remember, both of them made their bones under Al Slim Shady Sharpton at the National Action Network. They would be there on Saturdays. So Eric Adams refuses to name and shame Bragg. And this is what he had to say in Harlem, USA, last night. That our streets belong to our children and our families. And when we come out, we send a strong message that we're not going to surrender our public safety. While Alvin Bragg was right next to him. What he should have done is refuse to attend that event. There were so many other events he could have gone to rather than to be seen giving tactical air support to the besieged Alvin Bragg, who continues to turn criminals back loose in the streets and use the power of the Manhattan District's attorney's office to make life miserable for the victims. Meantime, we go up to the Bronx, the Trinitarios, which rule whole sections of the Bronx now in Washington Heights and Inwood. It is a violent, vicious Dominican gang, many of whose members are not born and raised here, but are illegal aliens. You would think that Eric Adams would ask ICE, Limigre, Immigration and Naturalization Service, to come in and use their database because they actually track these gang members, these alien gang members who are not citizens of the United States, whether they're MS-13, 18th Street from Mexico, or the Trinitarios from the DR. But Eric Adams has called... This uh, segment of law enforcement, he refers to them as thugs. He wants no part of them. And then we saw in the aftermath of the Dominican parade Sunday in the Grand Concourse, led by Eric Adams and his Dominican supporters, nothing wrong with that. He's the mayor. He should lead the parade. But unbeknownst to him, wearing his $5,000 designer suit and his Ferragamo shoes, is that on the periphery, marching with his entourage of elected officials, were known Trinitarios from the community, waving their Dominican flags, of course, no American flags, and screaming, Vaya, Vaya Adams, Vaya Adams. And I saw them in the video. I said, I can't believe this. I knew if the mayor knew, he would not permit them to be marching with him. Because just hours later, at 168th and Sheridan, you have seen the film over and over. Police officers from the nearby 44th Precinct on Jerome Avenue, that's a hot precinct came in to break up a dispute that was taking place between the same Dominicans who had been watching the parade, who were breaking up, who decided they were going to blast their boomboxes, play their bachata, their merengue, from huge speakers that were attached to the roofs of their cars. They were drinking. They were carousing. They were using drugs. And one Dominican very boldly and brazenly took his 9 millimeter out of his belt and popped it in the air and said, cops, you can't do anything. And the brave cops of the 44th Precinct, they went in there. And they extricated him out, and then the crowd turned on them, threw bottles, fought them. And I was proud of the 44th Precinct because they did not run, not like in the days before. Remember a few years ago, summers ago, we saw cops getting dunked with water and running for their lives. They stood there. They created a circumference back-to-back, belly-to-belly. These were Latino police officers. This is the future of our police department. It will be predominantly Latino, and it's starting to move in that direction. And they were fighting their fellow gangbanger Latinos. 
And then later on, the 4-6 precinct on Ryer Avenue, right off the Grand Concourse, same situation occurred. And the cops were under attack. These Trinitarios were hitting them, throwing bottles at them, hitting them in the head. And I was proud to see that members of the 46th Precinct, predominantly Hispanic, men and women, proud police officers, did not retreat, did not surrender. They defended themselves. What was missing? They had no nightsticks. Why have we taken the nightsticks away from the police that always enabled them to fend off danger, to push back the crowd? If necessary, to give a wooden shampoo to an assailant, an attitudinal readjustment, or just rack them up in their kneecaps so that they would just limp away and eventually be taken into custody by other police. I salute the police, but I ask, where is Eric Adams and his missing in action police commissioner, Sewell? They need to have the back of their brave police in the Bronx. With crime running rampant in New York, you need to keep yourself and your family safe. Obtaining your concealed carry firearm licenses can be difficult and time-consuming. That's where MyFirstPistol.com comes in. They'll help you secure your concealed carry license. If you're looking for a pistol, premise, rifle, or shotgun license, call 347-559-7052. 347-559-7052. You must have a valid firearm license issued by the NYPD to purchase, possess, or shoot a handgun or pistol in NYPD. I see. Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. have friends. I thought that Bernard McGurk and Sid Rosenberg were my friends, allies and solidarity. Yesterday, at the same time and same place of this lunch hour edition at WABC, I was reading from a political report about how New York Republicans are falling, falling in love with Eric Adams. And it was led by minority leader of the council, Republicans, Joe Borelli. And I railed against this. I said, oh, my God, where's Joe? Where's Joe? He's in Greece. Greece! Like Nero playing his fiddle while Staten Island is in a crime crisis. I was just there. Drive-by shootings, home invasions, carjackings, car thefts. That's all people were telling me when I was there. And so all of a sudden, Bernard McGurk and Sid Rosenberg, they get a call from Joe Borelli all the way in Greece. And he calls up, and he goes off on me. I mean, this is a guy who's an ingrate. I mean, this is someone who up until I got a tweet, an ingrate. Whoa. It's oh a God. word I'm sure Curtis would actually uh, use it in one of his little, you know, fancy lexicons. Oh like, so that's why I'm using it. Huh. And then he went on and on and on and started lambasting me in the house of WABC, the house of Bernard McGurk, Sid Rosenberg. Maybe they no longer consider me in this house. I'm in the outhouse. And then after we exchanged dialogue, then listen to what Bernie and Sid 
had to say. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Let Borelli get the last word. Let let Borelli get the last word. Can I hear that again? Lower the music, please. Okay. I need to. All right. All right. I love, All right. Hey, let Borelli get the last word. And he just lit me up. And I said to myself, hold on a second. Hold on. I remember a long time ago when Imus came in and took the morning show from me and Ron Kuby. This is the business we have chosen. I did not complain. And, in fact, even Bernard McGurk told the story. He said, you know, Curtis, he didn't say anything to me. We were passing uh, like uh, ships in the night. They had me in a little office there because they didn't want me to go to WOR. They had me locked in contractually. And then uh, I had an opportunity to go on the Howard Stern Show. Yeah, Bernard McGurk acknowledged that. And I was told by Cumulus, the parent organization, and also speaking on behalf of IMIS, if you go on the Stern Show and you talk about IMIS, you'll be fired. I said, no, 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 no. People have a right to know, and and Bernard McGurk will acknowledge this. I spend most of my time on the Howard Stern Show talking about what a great producer Bernard McGurk was. Then I just could not survive without Bernard McGurk, who would talk in his ear. I was there in the studio. I watched as I just would be stumbling and fumbling. It was Bernard who was feeding him the lines often, throwing him the lifeline. And I miss, uh, it was sort of like uh, out of a literary piece that certainly uh, Bernard, well-read as he is, would remember. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mutiny on the bounty. Because I miss was Captain Bly and Bernard McGurk was Lieutenant Fletcher. Lieutenant Fletcher Christian. I remember it like it was yesterday. And all the crew members were saying, come on, come on, Bernie. Take it over. This guy is abusing us. Bernie was loyal to Imus, loyal to the station, and said, no, we'll take the abuse, we'll continue. And I told that story. I said, Bernard McGurk deserves his own program. I remember at the end of the interview, Howard Stern says, you're a dead man walking when you go back there. I said, no, he deserves it after all these years. This is how I get paid. And then Sid, his partner, Sid, he's written it in his book that's now going to be out there available to all of you. He credits me, along with others, for convincing management that he needed to be united with Bernard McGurk. They wanted Mike Lupica. I miss wanted Mike Lupica. Cumulus wanted Mike Lupica. I, along with others, appealed to our general manager, our competituti, Chad Lopez, don't don't sign that contract for Mike Lupica. You must unite Sid Rosenberg and Bernard McGurk. And uh, he did the right thing, to Chad's credit. And as a result, they are the number one morning news talk program in the nation now. Look at the ratings. They're incredible. But they've turned out to be fair with the friends. Even John Gotti Jr. was better to me. At least I knew that he wanted to kill me. I felt like it was the Ides of March here this morning. I looked at Sid and I saw Brutus. I heard Bernard and I felt he was Cassius as they stabbed me over and over and over and thought that I would bleed out. 
And who were their co-conspirators who helped him? Joe Borelli and Eric Aldrich. Eric Aldrich, Republican who went out and campaigned for Eric Adams, who I was running against, and said the most vile, despicable things about me and was rewarded with 30 pieces of silver by Eric Adams and a no-show job. And did Sid have my back? No, because who is he neighbors with? Eric Ulrich. They go out. They get the schmear on the bagel. They have a cup of coffee. As they buried my bones. Well, guess what? If you're an Eric Adams Republican, it's war. Choose side, Bernie and Sid. Choose your side. With